Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Welcome, everybody, to episode... What episode is this? Three? Four? I don't know. I've lost track already. Welcome to the Snyder Cut. I am your host, Jeff Snyder. Uh, I'm going to be going it alone today again for the most part on the news, but stay tuned because about 35 minutes into this episode, we are going to have a an exclusive interview with Gene Stupnitsky, the director of Good Boys, which is out today. It is hilarious. Go see it. The Beanbag Boys will will win over your heart. Uh, I I loved it. Um, and so, yeah, we had a really fun chat uh, and that'll start about halfway through the episode. So let's talk about the big story of the week. Obi-Wan Kenobi, Ewan McGregor getting his own Disney Plus series. Uh, guess what? <laughs> that's, the, that's the main story on some other podcasts, not this one, because I don't even know who Obi-Wan Kenobi is. I don't know. I've heard of this guy. I barely know what the deal is with Obi-Wan. Uh, <laughs> like, I just, all these star, all these Disney Plus series, they're not for me. You know, I don't know that I'm going to watch like the Loki series. Um, I maybe I'll watch the Falcon Winter Soldier series. I don't know that I'm going to watch WandaVision. Like, I don't need the universe filled in like this. And, and and the same goes for Star Wars. Whether you know whether it's Marvel or Star Wars, I kind of feel the same way about them. Uh, yeah. I, I, good luck. I like. I, I hope Frosty's not hoping uh, that I track that one because I I can't even with these Lucasfilm projects. Uh, so yeah, check out Rule of Two. We got Jedi Council. We got all kinds of stuff that'll talk about this Ewan McGregor thing, uh, but it's not going to be, um, you know, the main story on this podcast. What is going to be the main story? Let's talk about Henry Golding doing GI Joe. He's a really interesting actor right now. Like he, he's definitely having a moment uh, since Crazy Rich Asians, and you know he was really good in, in A Simple Favor, that Blake Lively movie um, with Anna Kendrick. And now he's got this last Christmas movie coming out with Amelia Clark, and it looks it looks better than I thought it did uh, when I first saw the trailer at CinemaCon. I don't know if there is some big twist in this movie, the way that the blogs are hinting that maybe Henry Golding's character is is dead and he, he's a ghost all along. I don't know what the deal is. Um, I just thought that this G.I. Joe move was a little curious. I think that he's building a really interesting career, and the G.I. Joe franchise is not particularly interesting to me. I did grow up playing with the toys a little bit, but I'm not familiar with, like, all the characters or, you know, the the difference between Snake Eyes and Storm Shatter or whatever it is. Um, And I just see, like, G.I. Joe is a bit of, like, a B-movie franchise. Um, And if he's going to be, like, you know, stuck behind a mask for most of the the movie, like, it may pay well. uh, And and it may be the time in his career where he's looking for, for a paycheck. Um, but I, I, I just figured that there had to be other opportunities out there. I don't know. Um, maybe an indie or, you know, like that's built on foreign sales. Cause I imagine he's, he's, his name has some value overseas. Um, GI Joe just seems like a, a bit of a desperation move to me. Um, and maybe they have a really interesting take on, on snake eyes. Uh, but it, it's not something that particularly excited me. Um, so Who's to say whether it's a good move for his career until it comes out? But, you know, I just don't think he's in the position where he can afford a lot of bombs on his resume. Uh, Speaking of, uh, you know, interesting career moves this week, Harry Styles passing on the lead role in The Little Mermaid. That 
is also it's like it's defensible. I don't know why you wouldn't just take the money and all the publicity that that that, that a movie like that brings and just kind of like hang out in a in a voice booth, you know, and then write out the the you know PR tour or whatever. But like that couldn't have been a terribly I, well, I guess it's not the voice booth. It's a live action role. But like, I don't know. I, it, it's a guaranteed hit. I could see why he wouldn't want to be paired with with Halle Bailey. I, I caught some flack for saying that on Movie Talk, but uh, I stand by it. Uh, again, I know that I'm not. I wasn't talking about it from like an experience point of view. I know Halle Bailey has has some credits, but you know, to big screen audiences, we're not terribly familiar with her. Whereas everybody knows Harry Styles, and I, if I were Harry Styles, I would just sort of want an equal. Um, and you know, I imagine that. Whatever movie he does sign on to next uh, as his kind of big follow-up to Dunkirk will pair him w- with an equal because, um, you know, obviously that cast is, is stacked and, and it has some incredible Oscar winners and uh, lots of cool voices. But, yeah, he, he you know, he would have been primarily doing the scenes, I think, with uh, with Halle Bailey and mm, I don't know. I, I see how that just leaves him open. It leaves him a little vulnerable and they want sure things. Uh, and again, The Little Mermaid is a sure thing from a uh, box office perspective, but you know, I don't know if it plays to Harry Styles' strengths as an actor. So I understand why he walked away from that one, uh, even if it did seem like a bit of a head-scratching move. What seemed like a less of a head-scratching move was Matthew McConaughey leaving CA and going to WME, which also signed Kristen Stewart this week. I have been reporting on Kristen Stewart for like a dozen years, guys, and it's always Gersh, Gersh, Gersh. Uh, And it's one of the, you know, I don't call Gersh nearly as often as the other agencies. Um, You know, they're a smaller agency, a little bit more boutique. Um, And so Kristen Stewart was kind of like their prize gem. And to lose her, that, that's that got to be a huge blow. Like, it's inevitable. I'm actually surprised it didn't happen earlier. Uh, but no surprise that she's going over to the WME, which is just a talent powerhouse. Uh, same thing with McConaughey. Like, you know, once you leave CAA, there's really no place to go besides WME, maybe UTA. Um, McConaughey needed a change of scenery, guys. Like, the reconnaissance... That magic has sort of worn off, I think. Uh, obviously, he won an Oscar for Dallas Buyers Club, and then there was True Detective and The Wolf of Wall Street, I think he was nominated for. Like, that was awesome. Uh, and then he did Interstellar. You know, he was the lead in a Nolan movie. So, like, he had this awesome run. And then I don't know what happened, but he, like, turned his back on everything. And, and he does Gus Van Sant's The Sea of Trees, which, again, I understand it's Gus Van Sant, but that's a weird choice. Uh, the Free State of Jones, which, like, uh, how is this supposed to make money? This, this like, weird Civil War movie. Gold, which I actually liked. I thought that was a good movie, but nobody saw Gold. The Dark Tower, uh, which always seemed like a bad idea. I know people, you know, that, that project has a fan base with Stephen King and everything, but I'm not a Dark Tower guy. I never really understood the story beyond, like, it's a tale of good and evil. Um, and so I'm not surprised that that kind of flopped. Uh, at least, you know, it just bought him, brought him a lot of bad press. White Boy Rick, again, that was okay. His, his performance was good, but nobody saw that movie. Serenity was like, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe Serenity. It was atrocious. Uh, I can't believe he signed on to something like that. And Beach Bum, that's like a defensible choice working with Harmony Corinne. I actually thought Matthew McConaughey was quite good in, in the film. But, you know, that, that film is just like a toss-off. Like, that's for like... How many people are going to see that movie? Uh, again, these are some head-scratching choices. I, I think McConaughey 
needs to, I don't know, get back to go, go and do a, like a, a sequel to The Lincoln Lawyer, get him back in a courtroom, play to McConaughey's strengths because these movies have just sort of uh, left him exposed. And I'm not surprised that he wanted to change the scenery moving from CA to, to WME. Um, what else? Kevin Hart signs on to a third STX movie, like STX smartly getting into the Kevin Hart business. He's a little, little bit uh, toxic there, and I hate that word toxic. I was talking with friends this week about that. Like before, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, whenever I heard the word toxic, it was with regards to waste. Toxic waste. Now, everything can be toxic. People can be toxic. Kevin Hart had a little toxic period after, you know, when he stepped out uh, from doing the Oscars. Um, he was set to host last year, and he stepped away. But uh, he is back, and SCX is getting into business with this guy in a big way after the upside grossed over $100 million domestic. He's doing this movie, Nightwolf, which is described as, like, meet the parents if Robert De Niro was a superhero. So Kevin Hart, I think, is kind of perfect for that Ben Stiller role. I don't know who they will get to co-star opposite him as the the titular Nightwolf, this uh, famed superhero. But I was telling uh, Benji Samit on uh, Twitter, who's one of the Detective Pikachus uh, who pitched this along with Dan Hernandez. Uh, this is their pitch. And I was like, oh, you should get Sam Jackson. Like Kevin Hart and Sam Jackson, then that's that's a movie. You've got a big movie there. And obviously I could see Sam Jackson as a former superhero uh, you know, in The Incredibles, The Avengers, whatever. Um, we broke a story this week about Russell Brand joining the cast of Death on the Nile, which, like, you know, star-studded cast. It wasn't, like, the most surprising uh, thing. But Russell Brand hasn't worked in a little while, like, at least on the big screen. He's had a bit of a hiatus of sorts, and the movies that he has, has done um, in the last few years have been a lot smaller. Like Diablo Cody's directorial debut, Paradise, and Larry Charles's comedy Army of One with Nicolas Cage, uh, and, and you know he was on. He did a stint on Ballers recently. I think that was to sort of get in the industry's good graces again. I, I think it's remarkable what Russell Brand has sort of become. Uh, you know, I, I think he's an intel- a very intelligent guy. Um, and if you had told me, like you know, when he started out in, in forgetting Sarah Marshall, get him to the Greek, that he would be the kind of celebrity or person that he is today as far as like meditation and like a talking head as far you know as far as politics go and and policy uh i would have said you're crazy (laughs) um but uh russell brand you know trying to rehab his image joining the cast of kenneth Branagh's death on the nile which is slated to co-star gal gadot um uh, Army Hammer, Letitia Wright, uh, uh, and Annette Benning, which is uh, you know a pretty cool cast surrounding uh, Kenneth Branagh. I'm sure we'll hear a couple more names uh, as well. Um, what else? We've, I broke this story here at Collider about Alexander Aja, who's doing this interactive haunted house movie with Amblin. It's pretty cool. It's from writers. Uh, he's he's co-writing the script. With Jeff Howard and Nick Simon. Jeff Howard was like uh, Mike Flanagan's longtime writing partner. I, you know, I don't know if they're they're still working together. I think they still have a, a few projects together. Um, but like you know, Jeff Howard wasn't involved in Doctor Sleep. I don't think. Uh, and there you know a couple other things where they're they're working independently. But uh, this is based on a story that Jeff had with Mike Flanagan. So that's pretty cool. Mike Flanagan and Alexander Aja, two kind of power genre powerhouses, uh, working together on the same project. I you know the, the, there's not much in the way of a logline. But they're working this real with this really cool company, Kino Industries, which has this control movie technology. And what you'll do is you will go into a theater and you'll have like an app there you know you'll probably have to download the app beforehand uh 
unless they give you like phones with the app on it, I don't know how that would work. Um, but you know, the audience will be voting with their phones in the theater to see what happened. They can change the movie in real time. They can change what happens. They can change the ending. Like the whole running time could be different, uh, and that's really cool to have that mosaic like experience. I don't know if anybody ever played around with mosaic on their their TVs. I, I have an Apple TV, so it was kind of uh, you know perfect uh, you know the format for me. But uh, the Steven Soderbergh experiment mosaic was really cool to do that in a theater to have that Bandersnatch, you know, that Black Mirror Bandersnatch type experience. I think that would be awesome. Obviously, you may be disappointed by some of the choices that your fellow audiences members make. And, you know, I'm privileged enough to see a lot of movies with a well-behaved group of, like, press. And every now and then you get, like, those radio uh, show winners who, who get tickets to the movies. And they're, they're loud and they're yelling at the screen. And it's just, like, um, it's tough seeing a movie with general audiences these days. So I could see how this could be frustrating especially with everybody's phones out and like are they looking at other stuff in between the questions that they're being you know the prompts um but you know if, if it works you have to get you have to do something to get people out to the movies these days you have to eventize things and you can't just release you know any old haunted house movie without any ip behind it it's just it's a lot harder um, i'm not saying it's impossible but it's a lot harder and to have a gimmick like this I think it's pretty interesting. You know, it's all about how effective it is and, and, and how efficient. Uh, speaking of, uh, of Soderbergh, though, he also announced this new movie this week. It's called Let Them All Talk. He's going to be shooting it on the Red Komodo Dragon, which is, I guess is the same Fincher, uh, camera that David Fincher is going to be using on his upcoming Netflix movie, Mank. Let Them All Talk, Let them all talk excuse me, I can't even talk today, uh, is going to co-star Meryl Streep and Gemma Chan. She is blowing up, uh, Miss Chan. <laughs> Meryl Streep has already blown up. Um, she is working with Soderbergh, of course, on The Laundromat, which is expected to debut on Netflix later this fall. Um, not much in the way of plot details, but I love that Soderbergh, like, you know, remember when we all thought this guy was retiring? Like, no, no way, no how. Like, he, I, I love the guy. I really liked High Flying Bird earlier this year. If you haven't seen that on Netflix, uh, catch up with that one. Great performance by Andre Holland. Um, yeah, I, I just love that you can't keep Soderbergh down. He can't keep himself down. I watched this Linklater movie this week, uh, Richard Linklater's Where'd You Go, Bernadette, which wasn't particularly good. Uh, and might have benefited from another filmmaker altogether. But there's this line in it where it's like, you know, she's playing this architect and she has essentially stopped creating. And Lawrence Fishburne's like, you know, people like you need to create. Otherwise, you become a menace to society. And I feel like that would be Soderbergh. If he wasn't, like, still directing or whatever, like, I don't want to know where, like, how he would channel that energy. Uh, so good for him for getting back behind the camera and bringing along Miss Meryl Streep and rising star Gemma Chan, who's going to be in Eternals, of course. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. A um, couple of big bidding wars this week. Eventually won uh, Pyros, which is going to team Reese Witherspoon and Simon Kinberg. It's actually really uh, Pyros, I guess it's called. Sorry, Pyros. Pyros. Uh, it is, it's basically like about the, this team of like futuristic firefighters. They have like something fused to their spine or whatever. And, and what they do is when there's a fire in a house, in a mansion, museum, whatever it is, their job is to go in and get like you know whatever the owner has contracted uh, her her team for so it's like get the diamonds 
uh, or get the bail bonds or whatever. They're hidden in the closet and get out. And it's like if, if there are people who are dying, uh, they can't go off mission. Like that is how like focused they are, and the the story involves a woman who basically goes off mission and and to probably to save to save somebody. Uh, that is a really really cool premise, um, but Netflix came away with it. I mean, Netflix not surprised uh, that they've won. You know, they've beaten the studios in, in bidding wars before. Uh, I'm surprised they didn't want this up on the big screen. It kind of screams to me like a theatrical thing, and maybe you know Netflix could always release it into theaters, of course. Particularly with a, an A-lister like Reese Witherspoon sort of urging them to do so, uh, and, and Kinberg, of course. But um, yeah, Netflix coming away with Pyros. That sounds interesting. I'm going to keep an eye on that one. Uh, every now and then, Netflix is you know they're trying to take one or two, maybe three big swings each year, maybe one big swing each quarter. Um, and that sounds like it's going to be a sort of tentpole for the streaming service. Elsewhere, New Line beat out 18 other bidders for Olivia Wilde's Don't Worry Darling, which is some kind of, like, Gone Girl-esque thriller. Um, curious about this one. Like, it was, I think it was reported that Olivia Wilde is getting, like, 30% or 50% or something of, of the, the grosser, you know, the revenue once it breaks even. Which strikes me as kind of crazy. Um, I mean, I liked Booksmart, guys. I liked it. It was good. She did a good job. She is definitely on the rise and has a promising directing career. I'm just I'm surprised at just how much interest there was in this. And, and, and the terms of the deal are what, what's kind of shocking me. I mean, if she's going to play the lead, Olivia Wilde has never really been a movie star. Um, and I don't know. Uh it just seems like there's a ceiling there, box office wise. So unless they know they have so like this story is just incredible to knock out at the next six cents or something, I wonder if New Line overpaid there, uh, or maybe it just doesn't break even, and and so they don't really have to pay her out um, because it never actually recoups its money. But uh, yeah, everybody's salivating over you know Olivia Wilde, who understandably has a lot of heat right now. But. Um, yeah, we'll see if that one comes back to bite New Line. Like, you know, they spent a lot on Blinded by the Light at Sundance, which comes out today as well. Blinded by the Light, one of the best movies I've seen all year. I really liked it. Uh, but, you know, is that, a, is that a wide release? Is that a gamble for New Line? It seems like it. Um, anyways, we can move on. Screen Gems ordering up a searching sequel. Or I don't know if this will be a direct sequel. I, I don't know that like John Cho or anybody uh, from the first one will really be involved. But it'll feature the same sort of technology, and, uh, and it'll be another kind of story told with that split screen kind of thing. Um, I think Anish Shiganti is back uh, to to direct. Um, I loved Searching. If you guys haven't seen Searching, definitely check it out. It was a really clever, inventive thriller. Uh, I'm not surprised that they're going with a sequel. I mean, that's sort of what Bozilev's, uh does. Like, that's Timur Bekmambetov's company. They were behind that movie as well. Um, so, you know, they're just sort of keeping that going. Like, uh, it's nothing... I, I, I just don't know what kind of relation it will ultimately have to searching. You know, like, is American Pie the Golden Mile affiliated with Golden uh, American Pie? Because, like, you know, there's one character or something? I don't know. Elsewhere this week, sorry, 
Shia LaBeouf and Robert De Niro teaming up. These are two of like my favorite actors. I'm a big Shia guy. De Niro obviously is is one of the greatest actors of all time. They're doing this movie called After Exile, where they're going to be playing father and son. LaBeouf will be like fresh out of prison, and his you know his father's an ex-con as well, and they have to basically save uh, Shia's brother from a life of, of crime and drugs. Um, you know, young young f- filmmaker, uh, first time filmmaker, I think. Uh, or no, no, no. Sorry, it's Joshua Michael Stern, I believe, uh, who, who did a yes uh, swing vote um, and jobs. Either way, um, it sounds it sounds good. Like I, I like the the prospect of these two guys working together. Like they're just very intense and committed and focused. And, and you know, maybe Shy picks up a few things from De Niro, and or, and maybe he even lifts De Niro's game and, and sort of uh, gets one of De Niro's old performances out of him. Um, they are two of the fall's most interesting stories between Shia. You know, Shia has the Peanut Butter Falcon out right now, and he has Honey Boy coming out this fall. That's an autobiographical tale about his, uh, you know, his own relationship with his father. He's going to be playing, you know, a, a variation on his father. Um, while De Niro has the Irishman and Joker, so you know they are definitely two of the biggest stories to follow this fall and uh, it'll be interesting to see them working together aquafina who's also very hot right now with the farewell in theaters she has signed on to star in the last adventure of constance verity over at legendary you know this is based on like a a up-and-coming sort of ya book series i don't know really what it's going for it doesn't really sound like a movie i would see legendary bit of of a rough patch of late i would say uh, and I don't know if this is something that they will even ultimately make. Um, I'll be very curious to see who they ultimately get to direct to the, uh, this movie. Aquafina, I, I, I really think she's a great performer. Um, she's very versatile. I've seen already a, a bunch of different sides in Aqua, of, of Aquafina, even though she's only seems to have been around for the last couple of years, uh, at least in features. Um, but uh, yeah, again, it's like I, I just don't know if like if is she enough to open a movie with that with the kind of budget that that Constance Verity would uh, require. Like, is I you can do you can put Henry Golding in Crazy Rich Asians or A Simple Favor uh, or whatever, but is he enough to sort of open GI Joe uh, or do you have to bring in like The Rock again? Um, I, that's going to be interesting to see uh, because I, I I can totally see. Why audiences sort of rally behind a movie like Crazy Rich Asians, which was absolutely fantastic, just you know, on its own. Um, but I, I don't know if they're going to follow uh, to to these larger, you know, blockbusters that I think typically require a little bit more star power. Uh, one one franchise though that that maybe doesn't is Mortal Kombat, which uh, signed Ludi Lin to play Liu Kang. He joins Joe Taslim as, as Sub Zero. You know, you say Joe Taslim, Ludi Lin, not big names by by any means. Um, but Mortal Kombat, it may not matter. Uh, Mortal Kombat, obviously one of the best selling video games of all time. It's just a gigantic franchise. Uh, like I, I like both those castings. Ludi Lin sort of played a, a martial arts fighter in that Striking Vipers episode of, of Black Mirror, uh, and and I bought it. Like obviously this is going to be very different, uh, to say to say the least. But I think that they're on the right track with this Mortal Kombat movie, uh, which I think is being produced by by James Wan, who this week also signed on to produce the Troop. From Cheap Thrills director E.L. Katz. Loved Cheap Thrills. I have a Cheap Thrills poster in my bedroom. 
Um, E.L. Katz, uh, just a really interesting genre of voice, and I'm glad that James Wan's going to be nurturing that. Uh, this book, The Troop, which I think is by Nick Cutter, if I remember correctly, it's like about uh, a bunch of Boy Scouts who go on this remote camping trip, and then their adult chaperone sort of falls prey to this uh, wicked like stomach infection. And uh, listen, that that sounds like a blast, and I'm, I'm not sure what the tone is, but I heard that the book was really scary. I think uh, the Schmodown's Kalen Corrigan uh, is said to have been a big, a big fan of that one. Um, speaking of horror, It too. <laughs> you guys like those tracking reports this week? The first tracking report that came out, I think, said it's going to make uh, – it's on pace for between 95 and $110 million. And the first one opened to, I think, like $123 million. And at first I did think, I was like, gee, like, that is kind of low. Um, and sure enough, like an hour later, the other trades were like, it will open to at least the same that it opened, uh, you know, the, like it went up 10 or $15 million in the span of an hour. Uh, the other trades, like, guys, that that is a spin at its finest. I mean, it too is going to be successful no matter what. It's going to be, uh, it's going to make it the most successful horror franchise of all time. Uh, if it does open, uh, you know, to that kind of a figure, I think I'm really excited about it. Collider's hosting a very VIP screening uh, next week, a special screening. We're getting a very early look at it, so I'm pumped. Um, even though I didn't love the first film, I think that this one actually, you know, looks a little bit better. Uh, maybe it's just the adult cast and how talented, you know, Bill Hader, James McAvoy, Jessica Jastain are. Um, but yeah, it too, going to make a lot of money. That's the report. Elsewhere, Aubrey Plaza signing on to a Netflix movie called Hope from the Legally Blonde writers Kiwi Smith and Karen McCullough. This one sounds interesting. It's basically about the, the societal pressures that uh, women in their mid-30s face to, uh, to partner up and settle down. And uh, the lengths that, that this particular woman, played by Aubrey Plaza, will go to when she meets the so-called perfect man. Uh, McCullough and Smith are just two of the most prolific comedy writers in Hollywood. They're working on uh, a Party Girls movie. You know, I think it's like, you know, imagine the hangover with women, um, with female leads. And uh, they're also working on the Spice Girls movie, both at Paramount. Uh, they're just always, always working on something. They're super funny. Uh, I've known Karen for for years and years and wish them nothing but the best of luck on this one. I hope it gets off the ground soon. Aubrey Plaza loved her in Ingrid Goes West, and obviously you can see her in Legion. Um, What else? David Glasser's 101 Studios is doing a, a designer jeans movie. Uh, about the the battle for like designer jeans in like the late eighties, early nineties, or whatever it is, that sounds really interesting. Jaiman Hansu replacing Brian Tyree Henry in a Quiet Place too. I don't know. Brian Tyree Henry seems like a busy guy. Maybe he just needed a break. Uh, maybe he just you know wasn't the right fit. I don't know really what the character is. I know um, Killian Murphy is the other one joining that franchise. Excited to see that because um, I saw Beck and Woods. Uh, directorial debut this week, Haunt. I really liked it. It was good. I hope to have those guys on the podcast. It is uh, about basically like going into a haunted house that sort of preys on your worst fears. And, and yeah, it, it was cool. If you like like Saw and, and those kinds of movies, it was pretty neat. Um, what else? The Hunt cancellation. I wanted to address that just really quickly. Like not a fan of that. Not a fan of that. I mean, I understand it. It's a sensitive issue. 
It is a very sensitive issue, and Universal is probably just acting out of an abundance of caution and just like, you know, they want to do the right thing. And I, and I understand that, but to, I, I, it's like letting the terrorists win, so to speak, when you're, when you're, when you're letting them upset your release schedule and, and affect the art that America gets to see because some guy went off with, with, a, you know, with an assault rifle or something. I just wish, I wish times were different. I wish we didn't have to live like this. Um, I was really excited to see the hunt. I know it's just a movie. I know it'll probably come out, you know, next year at some point. But like, there's always going to be shootings. I don't know when the perfect time for this movie is. I don't know when the appropriate time to wait is. You know. Uh, anyways, I just hope that they do something about uh, gun control laws. Not not on the big screen. I'm all for guns on the big screen. Shoot away. I don't think it glorifies violence necessarily i don't think that people are get, getting their cues from movies i think that the, these individuals are predisposed uh to these kinds of violent acts and um yeah mo- movie it's like in screams they say like movies don't create psychos they may make them more creative but like you can't you can't blame movies like the hunt and, and i don't think that movies like the hunt should be preemptively punished too uh but you know i'm sure jason blum and Damon Lindelof both both understand the position that Universal was in here. Um, other notable stuff this week: Nathan Fielder signing a deal with HBO. Great to see that. Uh, Miss Nathan for you, which was a bit of a sensation. I think it's available on Netflix now and finding a whole nother audience. Waves got added to Toronto. I'm not going to Toronto this year, unfortunately. At least it doesn't seem like it. But Waves is definitely one to uh, keep an eye on. That's with Lucas Hedges and Sterling K. Brown. From Trey Edward Schultz, who did Cresha, uh, and the less successful It Comes at Night, but uh, I am really looking forward to that one. I've heard good things. Uh, it's also worth noting that Jim Gaffigan releasing a stand-up special this week on Amazon. It is Amazon's first stand-up special. They're getting into the business after Netflix uh, and HBO. I mean, HBO has really backed out of it in recent years. I know they have a Gary Goleman special coming up that I cannot wait for. But Netflix has really taken it over. They just announced they're releasing another Dave Chappelle special called Sticks and Stones. Um, it's like I'm a big stand-up guy, and I like Jim Gaffigan a lot. I think I actually went to sleep last night listening to one of his albums. So I'm definitely going to check that out on Amazon. Uh, other stuff that I saw this week, because i got to start to wrap this up before we get to the Gene interview. I saw Love Antosha this week. It reduced me to a man-shaped puddle of tears, as I tweeted. Man, that Anton Yelchin documentary really hit hard it was fantastic uh i missed the guy and it's probably the best thing chris pine has actually done in a few years uh we talked about haunt i really like this uh, david dasmalki and indie uh teacher check that out with kevin pollack um that's a little indie that's on itunes uh i saw ready or not which i'm prepping for an interview uh, actually in a few minutes that's why i gotta get going um but ready or not is is a, a solid a solid genre offering from Radio Silence and Fox Searchlight. You know, I, I didn't love the ending necessarily. It was almost it's it'll be divisive in like a once upon a in Hollywood. Uh, sorry, once upon a time in Hollywood kind of way. Um, but the movie's fun and uh, and the cast is really good. I watched Amazing Grace, which again an amazing performance uh, by Aretha Franklin. But I don't understand why that movie you know got the reviews that it did. Like I. I I like Aretha Franklin, and maybe I'm not a, a, a super fan or a mega fan of gospel music. Um, I thought it was solid. Uh, I enjoyed my hour and a half, but it didn't really illuminate 
any you know unforeseen truths about Aretha Franklin or her music for me. Um, but again, if you're a fan of her, definitely check that out. Check out Good Boys. Check out Blinded by the Light. They're the way to go this week. Uh, where'd you go, Bernadette? Not quite as successful. Um, but, you know, g- good good for older women. I think that older women uh, and that audience, I think that they will get something a little bit more out of the movie than I did. Uh, and I'd also recommend the documentary Cold Case Hammer Scold, which is uh, goes sort of is one movie and then halfway through pivots and becomes a totally different movie, and that's a wild one. I don't want to say anything else. Don't read too much about that one. I'm going to spend the weekend binging on Mindhunter. Uh, I watched the first two episodes last night. I stayed up late. Um, yeah, they're awesome. Both directed by David Fincher, so get going on that on Netflix. Bunch of trailers this week. My name is Dolomite. Parasite. My name is Parasite. <laughs> Check those out. Uh, Eddie Murphy, this sounds like a, a real return to form for him. I, he, I hear he's great. Parasite looks crazy. Uh, Terrence Malick's A Hidden Life, that trailer came out. It really, once it sort of got away from like the Tree of Life first half of the trailer to the more uh, Nazi-infested second half, I suppose, I really, that looks good. That could sneak into the Oscar race. A24 released a trailer for The Death of Dick Long, starring my boy Andre Hyland. That looks very Coen Brothers-esque. Um, I, I'm actually really looking forward to that one. Zeroville. We finally got a trailer for James Franco's long delayed adaptation of Zeroville. Uh, cool cast in that one. Seth Rogen, Joey King. Check that trailer out. And the Kill Team with uh, Alexander Skarsgård commanding Nat Wolf to kill civilians in Afghanistan. Wild. Uh, some quick plugs. Check out the uh, the Ringers piece on Wayne's World. If you guys are Wayne's World fans like me, uh, Alan Seal did an amazing job uh, on that piece. Uh, check out our Hard Knocks podcast. Me and Mark Fernandez, the big boss man here, recap episode two, talking about Antonio Brown's feet. And, uh, and of course, subscribe to this podcast on Collider Weekly on uh, Apple Podcasts. It's going to be on Spotify soon if it's not already. Um, man, so much stuff I wanted to talk about, but guys, I got to get going. So before uh, I sign off, let me just implore you, listen to this uh, interview that I have coming up with Gene Stupnitsky, the director of Good Boys. He got super candid. I asked him about his first kiss. I asked him, you know, how the internet has sort of affected young boys and, and, and you know, uh, pubescence. And, uh, God, it, it was really good. And, and thank you to, to Gene uh, for coming in, for being the first official you know, piece of talent, I suppose. All due respect to Justin Grohl and Mark Fernandez, the first real piece of talent on the Snyder Cut. Thank you to, for, uh, to Universal Pictures for taking a chance on this little podcast here. And again, check out Good Boys. It will make you laugh and smile this weekend, folks. That'll do it for the Snyder Cut. I will be back next Friday. Stay tuned for this interview with Gene Stubnitsky. So as I tease at the top of the hour, we have Good Boys writer-director Gene Stubnitsky today. Uh, Gene, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Did I mangle it? No, that, okay. that was pretty good. That was okay. pretty good. Well, uh, I told Gene beforehand, I've been following his career for uh, at least 15 years now, I would say, because I'm from Needham, Massachusetts, which is where Lee Eisenberg, Gene's writing partner on Good Boys, is from. And so Lee was kind enough to sort of be the West Coast out- outpost for all us uh, nice Jewish boys coming West, and, and we get that cup of coffee, and he told me about the industry and working with you. So I've been following you guys and, and your rise over the years. Um, and Good Boys is your feature directorial debut, correct? This is our debut. That's right. So how so how does that work between like were you always the one that was more directorially minded or like well, so, how does that partnership work with you and Lee? So 
Well, basically, we both directed the movie. Okay. It's because uh, the Directors Guild and their infinite wisdom I gotcha. gives writing partners uh, and directing duos a difficult time. Okay. So, although, so for example, we directed uh, on The Office, we directed a bunch of webisodes, which we were both credited for, and then we finally got to direct um, episodes, and we directed two together but we had to you know split up so his name went on one and, and my name went on the other but we both directed i got it so it's it's a it's a credit thing with the guild that's yeah. why he got the producer credit too yeah, right exactly okay um so how, tell me about the how did you two first link up we uh so we uh okay so going on oh, going back a while yeah well, no, uh, I'm, I'm going back to the beginning <laughs> you're waiting until you see the next question gene we we uh we met through uh on this on the movie bedazzled with Elizabeth Hurley and Bernard Fraser. Okay. Which was a Harold Ramis uh, film. The yes. Late, the late, great Harold Ramis. And um, Lee was at the office PA, and I was an intern. Uh, and I had been an intern for Harold in Chicago, and then was an intern in, when I moved to L.A. So Lee was my first friend in Los Angeles. And, and I think I was, I was not his first friend, but he was my first friend. Um, and that hasn't changed. Okay, so my how, only friend. So, like, how did you decide that you wanted to be writing partners, and how do you keep that going for as long as you guys have? Because I think it's, it's like almost like a marriage. Like, you got to oh, keep yeah. it spicy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got to keep the partnership spicy. Um, we, um, you know, we were well, we were friends first before we became partners, and uh, we went from just being friends to uh, being roommates, and then worked our way up to writing, writing partners, which is the most intimate. Uh, relationship either one of us has ever had does what do, do one of you have like a strength like you consider dialogue a strength and the other's better at structure or anything like that or um, nothing i think so cut and dry okay. uh, it really depends on the day um some but you know it's it's comedy is it's a strange thing it's always i'm i'm always blown away by people that just sit in a room by themselves and write comedy because it gets so much better when you have another person there, when you have a little mini writer's room bouncing ideas. That synthesis is just, without it, it just, I don't know, I don't know how anyone does it. So Good Boys is, is a story. I want to talk about this movie, yeah. uh, you know, because I know our time is limited. Um, Good Boys is a story about three sixth graders who are going to a kissing party. Uh, and, and it's hilarious. So before I talk about the movie, I want to know, what was your first kiss? What was that experience like for little Gene? Yeah. Uh, I was 27. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, my first kiss was... So I was a late bloomer. Lee and I were both late bloomers. I okay. Wanna, I don't want to, you know... He's not here, but uh, <laughs> we were both late bloomers. One of us was later than the other, but I'm not going to say who. Uh, but Lee's not here. Um, and so my first kiss was... I was 18... Um, I lost my virginity when I was 12, and then, like in the movie, <laughs> that's totally true. Uh, no, but uh, yeah, it was my college girlfriend. Um, was my first? No, that was my first real kiss. I mean, there's like little pecks, but, okay, you know, things like that. But like my first real kiss was uh, when I was 18, and um, I'm trying. I want to make sure I'm, I'm not leaving anyone out. <laughs> was there anyone? Out? No, I feel like. Yeah. So, so you you were uh, a, a young man by that point. You weren't as nervous as the kids in this movie. I was or as nervous. nervous. <laughs> I was pretty nervous. Uh, but by that point, you know, I was just like, well, what do I have to lose? Uh, but um, I, I, I was, you know, I was, I was just late. I was late to the game. You know, I, I, I was, I grew five inches my freshman year of college. Like I was a late bloomer in every okay. sense. So how much of this movie is taken from your and Lee's own childhoods? So 
Um, Lee actually, he was younger than in the movie. In, I think he was in third grade. His friend, you talked about this, his friend took him up to the parent, his parents' bedroom and was just like, look at all these things. Mm-hmm. They, know that these sex, they were sex toys. They didn't know that. They didn't know what they were. They were playing with them, you know, hitting each other with them. But, uh, I'm, you know, to a child, I think it looks very, you know, these things, that look, what, what could they possibly have to do with sex? Mm-hmm. Very strange. So um, that part is true. You know, um, it's not so much the specific things that happen. None of those, you know, I guess we'd run across busy streets. We never ran across a freeway. But more than that, it was just the feeling, you know, the, the, the tone, the, how it felt to be in the world, 11, 12 years old, trying to make sense of it. But also the feeling of being with your friends, riding your bikes around that freedom, no adult, no adult supervision, and you're just there's nothing better. You're with your friends. You, you feel like you, you own, the, you know, you run the city, you know, on your little bikes. Um, so tell me about the casting process, because you know, th- for this movie to work and to work as well as it does, uh, it really rests on the sh- on these small shoulders of these three kids. So I assume Jacob Tremblay was attached first. Yes. Um, he chose us to direct the movie. No, um, <laughs> he was. We got him. I mean, he was, you know, he was like the only t- uh, preteen actor we even knew. Right. We, there was like Jacob, gifted. and there's no one, you know, we didn't know about mm-hmm. anyone else. Um, and we Skyped with him and his parents. And uh, after we, we, you know, we, we talked to him, his parents were like, oh, we just want to talk to you guys alone for, um, after Jacob talks to you, we're like, are they going to yell at us for the <laughs> script that's too dirty? We didn't know, we didn't know what to expect. And they're like, oh, we just want to tell you, you know, we really like the script. And, and we think, uh, you know, Jacob, we want him to do a comedy. He wants to do a comedy. And we're like, oh, okay. We definitely thought we were going to get yelled at by his parents for some reason. We both <laughs> had that, independently had that thought. And, um, and we're like, oh, this is great. And then it took another nine months to find Brady and Keith. Okay. Which was, it was, I mean, we saw everyone. But, yeah, it took nine. I mean, we, we birthed them, basically. How, how many kids, roughly, did you see? Hundreds, oh, thousands? Oh my God, um, a thousand maybe. Okay. Um, and did did you know specifically what you were looking for, or was we it thought just, we did? We're open to whoever comes in. We thought we did. I mean, we we know we we were flexible enough that if someone comes in with a different, completely different take, but it's amazing. We're like, okay. Mm-hmm. But it got to the point where we're like, oh man, maybe we just the writing. We just didn't we didn't nail it in the writing, and we have to figure out another rewrite the whole character. Um, and then, you know, when the right actor comes in for the right role, you know, you know when we Skype to the Brady, we're like, okay, wow, <laughs> it's there. There it is. And so... Um, and is he a singer? Does he, he is. Okay, yeah. Which we didn't like, he know. He has a great voice. <laughs> yeah, he's a great... I mean, that was a great surprise. Um, the, all the kids do, actually. Um, and he's a twin, so if anything happened to him, oh, we nice. knew we had, there's another one there. Um, <laughs> so we were pretty reckless with him in the In stunts. case that freeway scene went, went wrong. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, and then, and then we got into some of the smaller parts and that was fun to like find like, just like the weird little, you know, kids, uh, the weird little Lee and jeans. I, I loved, um, Soren in Soren, this movie and, yeah. I, and just all the weird names. What is it with kids and these weird names, Brixley and whatnot? I, know. I don't know. We spent way more time than I want to admit <laughs> thinking of, I don't think Brixley's a real name. I think, I think we made it up. Um, uh, but like there's two Atticus, like there's Atticus L you have to go by. There, there's so many Atticuses that you have to also add the first initial of the last name. Um, yeah, it's really fun to just, you know, come up with, with names. Um, so I, I wanted to ask about that freeway scene. Because uh, that's sort of like the big stunt in the movie, right? 
Yes. What what uh, what went into that? Like, how many stunt drivers do you have on hand? That kind of stuff. We had a lot, a lot, uh, dozens. Um, you know, we started scouting early, and at first we were looking at real freeways, and we just couldn't get what we needed. Uh, we shot this up in Vancouver. So there's a, about an hour, hour and a half outside of Vancouver is a uh, some kind of air, a small private airport, and uh, we uh, we turned that into uh, into the freeway. Um, it's just kind of drivers going around in a loop, and we and the uh, set decorators and the production design and all that uh, they built it, and it looks looks kind of amazing from what was there, which was nothing, into you know a freeway. <laughs> um, and we spent three days out there, and it was uh, it was it was tough. We were out there in the summer, and um, it was like 100 degrees. And uh, yeah, we, we, I mean, but you know, obviously the kids are running around. They're they're acting. There are no cars. We would put those in later, most mostly. And so, but uh, yeah, that was that was the big action set piece. I wanted to ask about uh, the sort of the role that the internet plays in this movie because mm-hmm. I, you know, I came of age as the internet was blooming and, and it probably corrupted my my young mind. I mean, how do you remember learning about sex as a teen versus like what you know what the kids in this movie have to put up with? I mean, like, I th- I came to a late, I, you know, I there was a kid, his dad had some Playboys right. and he would like he would uh, like come come to my house and mm-hmm. come to the garage and I'll show you something this bad kid, Adam. And, uh, and, but it was very scary. And then I, uh, we like found some, we found like a box of some magazines in the woods. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a fairly common story. For some reason, I've talked to other people who've also found boxes of magazines in the woods. I don't know who's leaving the boxes <laughs> of magazines in the woods, but, um, that was really, it was, it was, um, yeah, pre-internet. It was tough. You really had to be a detective. And, um, so, but I think it just, you know, we came to it. So we came to it later. I mean, kids today, it's crazy. I cannot believe I wonder if it helps or hurts their development, you know, because it's like the answers are all there for them, but it's also like, you know, you see some stuff and it's like, that's not actually how sex or romance is supposed to be. Right. Not romance. Uh, <laughs> for sure. Not romance. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think it's like, you don't go looking for it until I think you're ready, as long as it's not shoved in your face. I think anyone with an older brother mm-hmm. or maybe even an older sister probably comes to it earlier. Yeah. Um, I did not have anyone older and neither did Lee, but I think the kids that did definitely ne- knew Neither more. did I. I. I was the oldest of, of three boys in my family, so I was the one who corrupted my younger mm-hmm. brothers. And I, you know, it was the neighbor whose dad had Playboy and you'd yeah. see those kinds of magazines. But I remember getting my hands on some actual hardcore magazines and I was so filled with shame. Yeah. I duct taped them to a brick and threw them in the lake in front of my house. <laughs> and I feel like... Um, I like think Ke- I found those. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you dug them yeah. I feel like Keith's character would be the one who did this. He's sort of like the, the conscience of the group in this. Don't yeah. You? yeah. He's, he, you know, he has a strong sense of right and wrong. And I, I think all children to a certain degree are fundamentalists you know uh, good at bad you know good or good and evil or black and white um and so it's not until you get a little bit older that you can embrace ambiguity right. and you know that's a sign of maturity when you're a kid it's just it's not really part of your thinking and, and you by the way it, it can't be because otherwise the world is too scary of a place right. you have to have some boundaries and some structure 
People uh, in the, in my audience seem to love that uh, consent scene with with the doll. Uh, I feel like that's a scene you you wouldn't see in comedies five or ten years ago. Uh, but nowadays, with the questions of consent and Me Too and all that stuff, like so, was that sort of consciously addressing uh, the, the the themes it, of of the day? It was, but we definitely didn't know it would get the reaction. It did. You really have no sense of what will pop, right? You know. So you're hoping this works, you're hoping that works, but we didn't know that that would get as much of a reaction from the audiences that, that it has. Um, I'm happy that it has, um, and it's. I think. It's, I mean, the kids, kids today, I think are, you know, they're more evolved. So it's it's all a good thing. Uh, we were just kind of surprised. That, that it's also I think there's something inherently funny just talking to a doll and asking for a consent <laughs> right. to a sex doll that you don't even know is a sex doll. So I was always an asker growing up, and I felt like I was weird being the kid who would ask, "Can I kiss you?" Because we were taught as young boys to yeah. just go for it. Yeah, just just go for it. And we were taught that you know women like guys that just right. go for go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's more complicated than, than yes. that. No, you know? absolutely. Um, but yeah. Uh, well, earlier, earlier, uh, a couple weeks ago when I saw the film, I, I, or last week I had tweeted that, uh, my fantasy football team name this year is going to be the beanbag boys. <laughs> uh, so I'm curious, where does that, where did that name come from? How did it originate? So I actually, I think I, I want to make sure I give credit where credit is due. I think that was, uh, our friend Beth Stelling, who was a writer on set came up with that. Um, we were just looking for options for, you know, what, you know, when you're a kid, uh, you know, you and your friends oftentimes will come up with a, you know, a, a tribe. Got to name your posse. Yeah, got to name the posse, and then that one stuck out to us. When, now, can you explain that the writer on set mm-hmm. bit a little bit? Yeah. So Point Gray, so that's Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg's company. Um, they have more, you know, they have a pretty improvisational style of filmmaking, and so they're kind of it's a little chaotic, but it oftentimes will bring you know great surprises. Uh, when you're when you're making the movie, and so they have uh, they often have writers on set, and we had writers on set, and you know we've been writers on set, right? And so uh, you know we're trying to to direct the movie, but sometimes you know you want alts, so because everything is for you know is to have options in editing. That's what you really want. That's a to, so that joke doesn't work. So we're going to try this other one, and so John Phillips and Beth Stelling were on set, and they contributed so many so much funny stuff to this movie so many funny lines and um and yeah it was just i mean thank god we we had them because it was you know directing the movie you have the kids for you know eight or nine hours a day and you cannot go 30 seconds over there are welfare Mm -hmm. workers everywhere Mm -hmm. and you know with adults you know you go into overtime and they get a time and a half and the whole crew but none of that here um so we were always um racing the clock so. How does having guys like Seth and Evan in your corner, uh, power producers like them, how did that help facilitate your vision? Could, did they ever get you stuff that maybe you, you didn't think you were going to get? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, getting actors, getting, you know, like Lil Rel or, or people like that okay. in the movie. Uh, that, you know, we don't know him, and, mm-hmm. and they got him, and he's great in it. He came down for a day, came up for a day. Um, so stuff like that, uh, if you need more money you know it always helps to have a, a movie star right. asking well i also wanted to ask about the decision to incorporate seth into like the marketing materials of the film because i thought it was kind of like a stroke of genius i i agree that was universal's marketing's decision and it was i thought it was just brilliant it was like that completely contextualizes the trailer you're about to see mm-hmm. and, and it gives okay here's the tradition the tradition that with within uh, this movie comes from and 
I thought it was just, when I saw it, I was like, oh, yes, that's <laughs> awesome. That's a great idea. And then uh, we, we were filming it. We're like, okay, well, maybe this will work. And then um, we talk it together. And I, th- I mean, it's as funny as anything in the trailer. Yeah. You know. It's, it's, it's great. Um, what was your experience like at, at South By? Uh, was this your first time at South By? This or? was my first time. I, I've never, it was my first film festival. Um, feeling is kind of like, well, I'm going to go celebrate someone else's movies. No. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it was my first festival, and it was very cool. That audience loves comedy. And Universal and Point Grey uh, have uh, shown other movies. They, I, they also showed Longshot uh, there. But um, it's a great comedy audience. It was a huge theater, Paramount Theater. Um, and it was really fun. I mean, that's the best. Uh, we were told, like, this will be the best your movie will ever play. It's the best audience. And it was, <laughs> it was fantastic. Yeah, That sounds like a lot of fun. Um, who are some of your, your comedy heroes, just generally speaking? Um, I mean, Harold Ramis is um, probably my, my biggest. Um, he's just, just as a person, uh, he's uh, uh, the smartest. Uh, he's the smartest man I've ever met and just uh, so wise. And, I, and I, Groundhog Day is my favorite comedy of all time. A lot of other people's as well. And I would say Ghostbusters. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, I love um, Steve Martin. I, I love... Um, people who are just only slightly older than me too, but you know, like Dave Chappelle. Sure. Uh, actually, and I don't know how old Dave, Dave Chappelle is, but I think he started when he was seven doing stand-up. So, <laughs> um, uh, Eddie Murphy. Um, all the there's that book that just came out, Wild and Crazy Guys. Okay. Uh, about comedy in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, Got to pick that up. But uh, yeah, it's good. Uh, a lot, of, a lot of those guys. But like Gary Shandling. I love the Larry Sanders show. Uh, the British Office was a huge influence. Stephen Merchant, Ricky Gervais. Um, Steve Merchant, who's in the movie, is one of the funniest people I've ever met. Um, yeah. All right. Um, and, and you know, speaking of, of Ramis, I know you and Lee at one point had written a, a draft of Ghostbusters three, right? Mm, yeah. Can you say anything at all about what what direction you would have taken that front franchise or where that script went? I mean, we we wrote so many drafts of Ghostbusters. Okay. It was like over five years. We wrote three different versions. At one point, you know, we wrote a version. At one point, Bill Murray's like, "I want to be a ghost," <laughs> and then we're like, "Okay," so we wrote him with the. With he was a ghost, and he never read any of the drafts, and uh, it was just, you know, Amy Pascal trying to, like, chase him down, or Ivan Reitman trying to chase him down to read. And, sure. And um, I think, he, you know, he just didn't want to engage uh, for, for whatever reason, and um, and then, you know, Harold got sick, and, right. and so that kind of changed everything. We, you know, we left the project, but, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was both frustrating, but also you know, sometimes we, we would look at each other and we're like, we're, we're writing Ghostbusters. This is amazing. We're writing dialogue for Peter Bankman. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, is there anything you're hoping for from, from Jason Reitman's uh, movie or? No, I'm open to, I'm open to, no, you know, it's weird. I think, you know, being inside the machine a little bit, sure. it's weird, but like, I just, I hope it's great. You know? Um, you and Lee have a production company, right? Uh-huh. Or, uh, what 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 are, what kind of films are you trying to do with you know under that label and you know what what are you focused on? I mean, um, we haven't really like we've mostly been doing more TV. Okay. Um, I don't know. You know, it's kind of a project by project basis. There's nothing really. There's no um, 
banner that we want to... Is there that hunger, though, to sort of produce other filmmakers' stories the way Seth and Evan are? <laughs> I think probably Lee more, more than me. Okay. Um, but, um, you know, by the time a script comes to us, that means a lot of people have turned it down. So it's, you know, we're not getting, like, the A material. Okay. Um, the Office, uh, I, I got to ask. I mean, did you ever imagine that The Office would be considered one of the crown jewels uh, of the streaming wars, you know, f- 15 years later? Like, people are, are fighting over this show that's in reruns. Yeah. Like, how does it feel to, to be a part of that and to see how many people are catching up with this show on streaming services? It's, it's really crazy. Um, I mean, we were proud of the show when we were working on it. We're like, oh, I think we're making something special. But, I mean, the, the whole streaming thing is really brought it to another level it's and just how it's entered pop culture and um you know it, it's just so many memes and on instagram and and yeah it, it's seeing younger people everyone's just like my kids watch it which is such a strange <laughs> thing um yeah I, I i think we were all we were all surprised um by its kind of its status in in the current culture. Do you ever get recognized as uh, one no. of the Vance Refrigeration <laughs> no, guys? No, no. Um, and, and you got to tell me about Lee's decision to, to play the porn star in your movie in Good Voice. I mean, that's really why we wrote the movie. <laughs> right, so he uh, could play a porn star. Yeah. Um, it, was, um, it was, I think it was just, I can't remember exactly how it went down. I think it was me just saying, you have to play the porn star. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think he was very natural in it, too. Um, cool. Any, are you seeing anything? I know you're obviously very busy doing press and, and uh, doing posts, uh, you know, wrapping up this movie and everything, getting it prepped for theaters. But have you had a chance to catch any summer movies, anything that you liked? Or I mean, what have I seen recently that, I, that I've liked? I haven't. I've been catching up on, like, TV shows. The other two is so funny. Okay. Uh, Succession I love. Um, I'm trying to think of the last movie I saw in a the theater. It's been a minute. For sure. Okay. Um, I think that should that that just about does it. Uh, Good Boys hits theaters today on Friday, August sixteenth. So go and check that out. It is absolutely hilarious. Gene, uh, are you on social media? Sweet baby Gene. Sweet baby Gene. Follow Sweet baby Gene across all platforms. Gene Stepnitsky, thank you so much for coming in. I appreciate it, guys. That'll do it for this episode of the Snyder Cut. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you back here next Friday. Stay little chico, pit bull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. People notice a healthy smile, but maybe you have tooth sensitivity, bleeding gums, or acid-weakened enamel. Sensodyne, Paradontax, and Pronamel are trusted specialty toothpastes created to help improve your oral health. For tooth sensitivity, choose Sensodyne. Bleeding gums, get Paradontax. For acid-weakened enamel, Pronamel is the toothpaste for you. Sensodyne, Paradontax, and Pronamel. Trusted specialty toothpastes to help bring home your healthy smile. Visit Ibotta to earn cash back.